You can be seated. Great to have all of you here this morning. Take out your Bibles right now. Turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 30. It's on page 407 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. Our host team's coming around right now. If you need a Bible or a newsletter or anything this morning, just slip up your hand. Don't be shy. They'll get those to you uh, this morning. Wow, what awesome worship this morning. It was awesome to hear you guys singing. And before we get into the message, if you're a first-time guest this morning, uh, we are just thrilled to have you with us here worshiping and studying God's Word at the Orchard Church. Uh, we're glad you're here, but we're not surprised you're here, because we pray every week and ask God to bring us uh, new guests from our community that we can uh, get to know better. And if you are a first-time guest, inside your newsletter, there's a connection card. If you just do us a favor, uh, fill out some information there about yourself so that you're not just a face or a number in the crowd. We can get to know you by name. If you've got any questions about our ministries, let us know that. Tear that off, drop it in the offering bucket, and we receive our gifts at the end of service. And I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. You're just going to get a thank you card in the mail from myself and a free gift from our church, just thanking you for being our guest here at the Orchard Church this morning. Can we welcome all our guests this morning, church? Let them know you're glad that they're here this morning. Good to have you. We've had a lot of... A lot of first-time guests this summer. A lot of people are moving into the area. Now that we have a King Supers, more people will be moving into the area. Met a family just this morning. They were attending our church for a while, and they left to go to Texas. And they came back, and they said, it's too hot there, and they moved back to Colorado. So it's smart to just stay here. Well, we're continuing our series today uh, through the book of Mark. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. This is predominantly how we study the Bible here at the Orchard Church. We go to a book of the Bible, and we work our way verse by verse all the way through. And we're studying the gospel of Mark this summer. And uh, this week, we're in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 is where we're going to pick it up. This is part 2 of last week when we started uh, chapter 6. It's called Jesus, Believe Him or not. And last week we did some kind of Ripley's Believe It or Not scenarios and things you might find in like the Ripley's Museum. But today we're going to do uh, Orchard Church Leadership Team Believe It or Not. And we're going to see how well you know your, your church leadership ministry team, your staff here at the Orchard Church. So I'm going to ask you to participate by raising your hand when I tell you these scenarios about people on our staff, whether you believe them or not okay the first one has to do with our awesome children's ministry director here at the orchard church barb harrington we love and appreciate everything she does believe it or not barb harrington once surfed a 10-foot wave in hawaii how many believe it raise your hand okay a little bit of faith there in barb how many say not okay how many are like i'm not playing this dumb game <laughs> fine be that way well, the truth is, she did. She certainly, she said, for about two seconds when she was like 18. And I think we've got a picture. There she is, right there. Believe it or not. That might be a not. All right, here's another one. Believe it or not, Orchard Church Leadership Team. One of our team members actually was on the team that helped develop and launch Twitter. Helped develop and launch Twitter. How many believe it? Okay. All right, a few gullible people, all right. How many say not? Yeah, it's not. You're like, they wouldn't be on staff here. <laughs> Here's another one. One of our team members played in a band for these two presidents, right here, for these two presidents, someone on our team. How many believe it? All right, some of y'all words out. How many say not? Okay, a few of you. Well, believe it, it was me. I played in a military band for these two presidents. I had the privilege of doing that. Okay, here's another one. Believe it or not, 
Uh, uh, Jess Farber is our administrative assistant here at the Orchard Church. I'm not sure if she's here yet. She might be in the second service. Oh, she is right there. Uh, wave your hand, Jess. Okay. I don't see Zach, but Jess is married. She has a husband named Zach. Jess and Zach, Jessica and Zach, met on a reality TV show. How many believe it? Okay, a few of you. How many say not? Yeah, it's not. No, actually it was. It was Temptation Island, I think, is where they met. That's what we heard. It was rumor going around. We had to straighten out. Okay, here's another one. Believe it or not, one of our leadership team members is actually a Canadian citizen. How many believe it? Okay, interesting. How many say not? Okay, two, I think. Yeah, well, believe it. I think he said it before. Uh, Barry, our assistant pastor, is uh, dual citizenship, Canada and United States. His dad is a Canadian citizen. <laughs> Did he just peek his head out there? Yeah. Was he waving a Canadian flag or so? Okay. All right, here's the last one. Believe it or not, one of our ministry leadership team members last week won the Colorado Lottery. How many believe it? About five. How many say not? You should have believed it. Yeah, a true story. Gary Durbin, who just led our worship, we went as a staff during lunch on Wednesday to the King Super's grand opening, and they had a wheel you could spin for free, and they would give you a free scratch card, and he won a dollar. <laughs> he, won, he won a dollar. And we're expecting him to tithe on that this morning, Gary. <laughs> if you win a dollar, you should just put the whole thing in there. I actually, when we were at King Supers, uh, we were, thought we were going to see the grand opening of King Supers. We actually were visiting most of you. Because we saw about 100 people that day in the new King Supers. One couple that goes to our church, I won't tell you who they are, but they did the little spin wheel. They're like, you guys got to play. They won $50 on the Colorado Lottery spin wheel. And so uh, definitely tithe on that today. I think that it says in the book of Hezekiah, uh, you're supposed to tithe 20% when you win the lottery. I think that's in there in Hezekiah somewhere. Some of you are like, where's Hezekiah at? i got to check that out. But today we're going to continue. Jesus Believe him or not, because the main theme of chapter 6 in the Gospel of Mark deals with the unbelief of so many people that came in contact with Jesus. And I asked this last week, and I'll ask you again, to be honest, we're human. How many of you have ever gone through something in your life, maybe even right now, where you've actually, it's tested your faith, and you've struggled to trust Jesus as much as you should? Would you raise your hand? I think we've all been there at times because we're human, and we sometimes need our faith to grow and need to be stretched. And this chapter will really help us to believe and trust Jesus more, especially when we go through trials. When we go through difficulties and challenges in our life, you know, I think about what we've seen on the news all week long, you know, the, the fire victims, you know, in Colorado Springs and up in Fort Collins and, you know, other places, people that have lost their homes. And when you go through something like that where you lose everything, boy, you, you better know Jesus. You better have some faith that he's going to get you through that, and he's in charge, and he knows what he's doing. And, and by the way, I want to say this. Several people have asked, what can we do to get involved? And we certainly want to, you know, right here in our backyard, when a tragedy like this takes place, we want to get involved. If you guys get our constant contact, if you're on our email list, if you're not, you can add that today on your, your connection card. We sent that out. Hopefully you guys got that last week around Friday, and it's got all the information. We have an opportunity to partner with Samaritan's Purse, who will be arriving in Colorado this weekend and starting 
starting tomorrow, they're taking day teams up into the area where the homes have been burnt, and you basically are helping the homeowners sift through things and try to find any valuables. So all that information was emailed to you guys. If you want to pick up some information, printed material, it's at our information table today, but we certainly want to take an opportunity to help out. Uh, there's a story in the scriptures. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks when we get to Mark chapter 9, but I want to mention it today because it has to do with belief and unbelief. And, and Jesus is talking to this man who has a demon-possessed son. And, and the man's like, you know, Jesus, will you heal my son? And, and Jesus says something very interesting to this man, and his, spot, his response is also very interesting, having to do with faith or lack of faith. And it's in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. We'll just go ahead and put it on the screen. It says this, Jesus said to this man who had this demon-possessed son, if you can, say it, church, believe. Everybody say believe. believe. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. How many things are possible, church? All things. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, and I, maybe you've been here, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me when I struggle to believe. Help me when my faith is tested and it's not as strong as it needs to be. Maybe that's where you're at today, this morning. You know, maybe right now, just in the quietness of your seat, you just say, Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me to have more faith, especially when I go through trials and struggles and, and, and challenges. And we're looking at three groups of people here in the book of Mark that struggle to believe and trust Jesus. We looked at two of them last week. We're looking at the third group today. And by way of your notes, by way of review, you can take notes here. Last week, we first of all, in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, we looked at the unbelief of Jesus' own hometown, his own community. He went back to his own hometown, and they struggled to believe in him because they were too familiar with him. They thought they knew Jesus too well. And people in America can be that way. They hear about Jesus so much, they go, hey, he's just another person to believe in. And they devalue who he really is. Um, the other unbelief group we saw last week was the unbelief of his enemies. Um, King Herod was the, the, the figure we looked at last week that struggled to believe in Jesus and believe in John the Baptist. They, they just, even though he had done all these miraculous things and raised people from the dead and healed the blind and his amazing teaching, they still struggled to believe. And then we look at the third group today day in Mark chapter 6, and that's the unbelief of his own disciples. His own disciples struggled to believe him in two stories that will be familiar to some of you if you've been in church a while or in your Bible, if you've read it much. These two stories are illustrations of his disciples struggling to believe, and these were his own disciples. And so first today we see the unbelief of his disciples in the desert. They struggled to believe in the desert. Let's pick up our reading in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. This story we're about to read here is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's a very prominent, important story to illustrate some things to us today. It says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And if you remember uh, last week, they had been sent on a road trip by twos to go and spread the gospel throughout the region. And they even had the power to do miracles like Jesus. Now they're coming back and they're reporting to Jesus about everything they were able to do on their road trip and lead people to Christ. To Christ excuse me. Verse 31. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there, there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. You know, Jesus understood that sometimes if you don't come apart, you will come apart. They needed to rest from their ministry. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude of people saw them departing and leaving, and many knew him. They knew Jesus, 
And he was very popular at this time and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, to Jesus. And we're going to put this map up here again, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And you can see up in the north uh, west corner is Capernaum. This was kind of the headquarters where Jesus' di disciples hung out and they kept going out and ministering and coming back. And so they were probably in Capernaum and then they sailed about three to four miles to the eastern side uh, in between Bethesda and Kersey there. It's just kind of a deserted place. There were no towns. There was really nothing there. They were trying to kind of get away and rest. But the people saw it was Jesus, and they started running around the shore. And by the time they got there on what they thought was going to be a little vacation, there's thousands of people waiting for them. That's what's going on in, the, in this scene. It says then in verse 34, And Jesus, when he came out of the boat, saw a great multitude and was moved with what, church? Compassion. This is key in this story. Jesus was moved with compassion for them, for the people, because they were like sheep having not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, he'd been teaching all day. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour's late. The sun's going down. It's getting late. We got all these people here. And they're, they haven't eaten. They're hungry. Now here was the disciples' response to these people. Remember, Jesus' response was compassion. Let's see what the disciples' response is. Send them away. Send them home, that they may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. Because they were in this desert, there was nothing there. For they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they're like, say what? Uh, we didn't bring enough food for thousands of people. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? They're like, we don't have any food. Domino's won't deliver on this side. You know, Jimmy John's freaky fast delivery, we don't have that. And even if we did, it would cost us 200 denarii. That was a, like a year's wages. They're like, we don't have the food. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. Jesus, just send them home. This is a hopeless situation. Just send them home. But Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we got five loaves and two fish. And we know the other Gospels tell us that this came from a little boy's lunch that he happened to have carried over there. He was smart enough to bring a lunch for the day. And they're like, this is all we got. Then Jesus commanded them to take, to make them all, these people, sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up in he to heaven and he blessed it. And he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they, say it church, all ate and were filled. The whole multitude of people. And then they even took up 12 extra baskets full of fragments of food and of the fish. They had enough to feed everybody, and 12 more baskets were left over. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. But we also know there were women there, and there were children there. Most scholars estimate that this group was probably fifteen to 20,000 people in size that were miraculously fed by Jesus on the shore that day. Now let's make some applications, what we learn from this very well-known story of the feeding of the 5,000 as we see the unbelief of the disciples in this desert place. Now, you have this in your notes. From Jesus' viewpoint in this story... He did not see a problem. He saw an opportunity. 
Jesus did not see a problem. He saw an opportunity. You see, an effective leader is someone who sees potential in problems and is willing to act by faith. And that's what Jesus was doing. But from the disciples' point of view in the story, they saw a problem, but not the potential of what could be done. Of what God could do. They just saw a problem. There's no food. There's no money. There's no resources. We can't help these people. The disciples lacked faith. They lacked trust. They lacked, they, they lacked belief. They had unbelief. And I think that we can even say they lacked compassion. Jesus, it says here in the story, had compassion. You never see that about the disciples. They're just trying to figure out how to get rid of all these people. You know, we came over here to get a break. We came over here to have a vacation, and all these other people showed up, and now we got to try to feed them. It's almost like the people were just in their way. And you got to remember what's crazy in this story, as the disciples had just gotten back from a road trip Jesus sent them on, where they had done all kinds of miracles. And yet they're seeing these people, I mean, they had raised some people from the dead. They had healed some blind people, and they don't have enough faith to believe they could feed these people. The lack of faith, even though what they've seen God do. The problem was this. They took God out of the equation at this point. They forgot who they were with. They were with Jesus, who could perform any miracle, but they lacked faith. Now, what about our viewpoint when it comes to our faith and our trust? How do we face challenges that come in our life? And it's not a matter of if challenges and trials will come in our life, but when. But how do we face them? What's our viewpoint? When we go through a trial, when we go through a challenge, when we go through a difficulty, do we see it as a problem or do we see it like Jesus? It's a potential. Potential for God to work as we step out in faith and we trust Jesus to do a miracle in our life like he did in these people's lives. Do you all really believe that the same Jesus that did these things 2,000 years ago still has the power to do miracles today? Absolutely he does. But it all has to do with our our faith, or lack of. You know, we have faced many challenges as a church since the orchard started. Uh, we're coming up on uh, July 5th. Uh, this next week will be, uh, let me think about this, seven years that Shelly and I, we moved our family to Denver and stepped out on faith to plant the orchard church. It'll be seven years. And, you know, we've faced a lot of challenges and trials, but you know what's been so fun and awesome about it? Every time we faced a challenge and a trial, God miraculously would meet our needs of the Orchard Church. I remember when we, we got the word we were going to get to meet in this high school. I mean, it was just a, a huge miracle that God performed. And so we've had to, as we face challenges and problems, step out on faith and trust that God knows. L- listen, I learned a long time ago, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church. And the Bible says the the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we've just believed that whatever challenge or problem that we face, God's going to meet our need. And he always has. I remember when we we first moved in here five years ago into this auditorium, some few of you were here. We moved in with about 100 people. I mean, that's like adults and kids and everything. We roped off every section except this one, like right here. We all could fit right in here. And we thought, how in the world are we ever going to fill all of these seats? And we realize we don't have to fill all these seats. God's going to fill these seats. We'll just do our part to share with people. And then we got to the point where we outgrew one service. And we couldn't fit any more people in here. And and we faced a problem. That's a good problem. 
We faced a challenge. What were you going to do? We saw it as potential to grow and reach more people in this community. And God led us to start a second service. Now, there were a lot of challenges in that. We needed more people to serve and more people to help. But we stepped out on faith. And, and look what God has done. We came to Easter service this year. And we were like, I don't think two services are going to be enough. We had to have three services. Had over 1,500 people on Easter Sunday. We could have seen it as a problem. Amen. Or potential of what God can and, and wants to do in this community, but it takes faith. And let me say this, people sometimes ask this, sometimes, you know, how big do we want the Orchard Church to be? Listen, I never came here with the intention and still don't have the intention to be a mega church. We want to plant other churches. We'd like to send 50 to 100 people out every time that we can to plant other churches, just like we did uh, a couple years ago with Orchard Church of Erie. A little, about a year and a half ago. But you know what? At the same time, we're not going to turn people away that want to come to God's house and hear God's word and worship. Amen? We're not going to turn people away. There's a lot of people in this community that still need Christ. Some people might see us meeting in an, a high school as a problem. We don't see that as a problem. We see it as great potential. Let me give you one illustration. I mean, and, and people ask, well, you, will you guys ever build your own building and have your own place? You know what? I don't know. That's in God's hands. If God wants to do that, we'll let him do it. But we're not forcing it. And we're not putting the church in a bunch of debt. You have my word on that one. Too many churches have made that mistake and it killed them. And that's not, that's not what we're about. So we're just waiting on God. But in the meantime, we see it as great opportunity and potential that we have the privilege to meet in a 5A, 1600-student high school. And I think that's a great testimony on our community. Let me give you one example of this. Some of y'all remember I told you a couple of weeks ago that there was a teenager, a, a graduate of Prairie View High School that just graduated this year. Three weeks after his graduation, he rolled his truck and was killed out on E-470. The principal of the high school, to my knowledge, who's not a believer yet, I've been working with him, he talked to the family and he asked him, he said, well, do you have a church you have somebody to do the service and they said no we don't have a church we don't have anybody and he said well you know we have a church that's been meeting in our school and I'd be happy to talk to the pastor and see if they'd be willing to do the service and he called me and I, I said absolutely we're here to serve we're here to minister whatever we can do to help we were able to have the service right here in this auditorium uh, a little over a week ago about 600 people filled this auditorium at the end of that service I gave an invitation of the gospel you know I never missed that opportunity. And a hundred people raised their hands to receive Christ. That would not have happened if we're just trying to get out of this school as quick as we can. It's not a problem that we meet here. It's potential. It's an opportunity that we get to meet here and a privilege. And can I, can I share with you guys um, a challenge we're facing right now as a church um, I, don't, I don't want to call it a problem because I, some might call it a problem. I call it potential, and I call it an opportunity. And it's in the area of our children's ministry. Uh, how many of y'all have children in our children's ministry? Do you thank God for our children's ministry here at the Orchard Church? Man, we are blessed with a great children's ministry. But you know what? It takes workers. It takes about 50 to 60 workers every Sunday for us to enjoy the children's ministry that we have here at the Orchard Church. Now, that's in the summer. Because we're usually a little bit down in the summer with vacations. We're able to scale a few classes back. In the fall, when we have eight, 900 people coming here again regularly every Sunday, it takes 75 to 100 people doing our children's ministry every week. We, we need help. We need workers. We need people who are, are willing to serve. 
we need to separate a couple of our classes and because this is a great problem to have. There's too many kids in the class. You know, we've got some classes that are 25, 30 kids. We need to separate those, you know, so we have 12, 15 kids, and kids can have better attention and better their, on their level. You know, we, we don't want to cram four grades together, but we need people to, to help. And let me say this, because I know many of you do serve in our children's ministry. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. Can we thank all those who faithfully serve in our children's ministry right now? We couldn't do it without you. However... Barb has talked to me, and she said, if we don't get some more people willing to serve in our children's ministry by fall, we will not be able to start some of the classes we, we desperately need to start. We just don't have enough. And some people, and, and here at our church, we ask for one service once a month. That's it. One service once a month. Now, we have some people that are serving much more than that because they're trying to help fill in the gaps. And we don't want to burn them out. And so I really want to challenge you this morning, church. Can you give one service once a month to help minister to children, to have compassion like Jesus did on people? We need your help. And I think here's one of the things that's happening because our church has grown so much and we have so many people. People think, ah, somebody else will do it. We've got plenty of people. I've done my time. Somebody else will do it. And what happens is everybody thinks someone else will do it and nobody does it. And so we really need your help. If you've served in the children's ministry before, you've taken a break, great. Now we need your help again. If you haven't served before and you could serve, please serve. You say, well, how do I serve? What do I do? Right here. Everybody take out your newsletter. It's real simple. In your newsletter, give us your contact information. Just give us your name, telephone number. That's all we need. And then right here where it says sign me up for, there's a box. It says children's ministry helper. Just check that box. Barb will contact you, um, talk to you, find out what works best for you. She'll take it from there. But if you could help us out, we, we need about 20, 30 people today, honestly, to sign up and say, you know what, I can serve. I can help out the children's ministry because we need your help. And, and let me say this. Those of you that have children in our children's ministry and you're enjoying the benefit of that, you need to be serving. You need to give one service once a month. You're benefiting from it more than any, anybody else. We need your help. Please help us with that. And I know you guys will respond to that. Because right now, it's, it's a problem. It's a challenge. But it's an opportunity for you to serve. It's, it's a potential for God to use you to help us to continue to grow. We don't want to send people away. Amen? We don't want to send children away. We want to minister to them like Jesus did. You notice in this story here, in Mark chapter 6, the miracle took place. Look at verse 41 and 42. I want you to notice when the miracle took place. It says in verse 41, And when they had taken the five loaves and two fish, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. The miracle took place when it was given to who? Jesus. When it was placed in his hands. And that's where all miracles take place. In the hands of Jesus. And what you see here, we talked about this when we did a couple of weeks on giving, you know, back a while ago. And, and then on, this is not about giving, so relax. But it applies to a lot of things. And we, we remember this principle we learned, and we use this story. What we keep is all we have. But what we give to Jesus, he, say it, church, multiplies. He multiplies. And you see in verse 43, he multiplied these things. And, and it's not just talking money. I mean, it's when we go through trials and challenges, when we give it to Jesus, he multiplies the power and the effort to get us through it and to bless us. 
it, whenever we are willing to serve, when we have a talent or ability, or we're just willing to say, I'll make myself available to help in children's ministry or wherever it is, when we give that to Jesus, whatever little bit it is, he multiplies it. He multiplies our efforts. He multiplies the blessings back to us. You know, I've said this many times. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Just make yourself available and willing. And sometimes we ask people to serve. And, and you guys, you're just going to have to watch your toes this morning. Okay, I'm just going to warn you now. Sometimes we ask people to serve and we get this response. Well, that's just not my calling. Well, it's just not my calling to work with children. It's just not my calling to be on the worship team. It's, not, it's just not my calling to be a host team. It's just not, my, just not my calling. Last time I checked the Bible, we've all been called to serve. Amen? We've all been called to serve. It is our calling. Just make yourself available and be willing. You know, if these disciples had not done what Jesus asked them to do and not been willing to give it to Jesus, they would have missed out on a huge miracle. They would have missed out on a huge blessing, and so would the people. But they lacked compassion. And Jesus had to help them along. It's, it's, it, you know, that's, that's what it really all boils down to. How compassionate are you about helping others? About being available? What do you need to give to Jesus today that maybe you've been holding on to? Maybe right now you're here today and you feel like you're in the de a desert time of life. You feel like there's some needs that you have that aren't being met. You know, you, you don't have the resources. You know, you're, you're going through a challenging situation, a trial. Will you give that to Jesus today? Give him your fears. Give him your trial. Give him your challenge. And put your faith in him and see what he will do. Let go of it. I think the problem is we hang on to stuff too long ourselves. Instead of just giving it to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you know you need to serve. You, know, you, need to, you just need to step up and say, I'll make myself available. H how can I help? I mean, I tell you, the greatest blessing here at our church is when people walk up to us and say, here I am to serve. Well, what would you like to do? Use me however you need to. What a blessing to have that kind of humble spirit. Would you give your service today to, to, to Jesus? Would you have compassion on people and, and for your community? Will you have the same compassion for people that Jesus had? Or will you be like the disciples who didn't really... Well, yeah, they did say it. Send them away. Just send them away. Can, can, I, can I share this as well? We've had some people, and, and listen, we know our church isn't for everybody. We know that, and there's, some, there's a lot of other good churches out there. We've had some church people leave our church in the last year, and this was their reason. It's just getting too big. That's really sad. It's just getting too big. You know, and again, we're not trying to be a mega church, but we're trying to make a difference in this community for Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people that still need him. There's a lot of people that you know that still need him. Let's not have the attitude, send them away. Send them away. Let's just enjoy what we have. Listen, we're not trying to create the Orchard Church Country Club. It's the Orchard Church. And I trust that the Orchard Church will always be willing to step out on faith and see God do big things. But you've got to, we've got to be willing to step out on faith for God to do those things and do something God-sized in our church and in your life. The unbelief of the disciples is shown here in the desert. And then we see one more story that you'll remember. Not only do we see the unbelief of the disciples in the desert, but we see the unbelief of the disciples in the storm. Look at verse 45 to 52. 
Verse 45, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. This was after the feeding of the 5,000. And go before him to the other side, to Bethesda. So now he's going to send them back on that three to four mile journey over to Bethesda, Capernaum area. He's going to send them back over there. there was, and don't get confused, there were two Bethesda. There was one on the western side of Sea of Galilee and there's one on the northeastern. This was one on the west, probably back to Capernaum. And he's going to send them back uh, to Bethesda while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, the, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. So Jesus sends the multitude away. He puts his disciples in a boat, sends them across the Sea of Galilee. And where does he go? He goes up to a mountain to what? To pray. So he's on the mountain on the shore. They're in the Sea of Galilee trying to cross. Verse 48, then he saw them, his disciples, straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. A storm had come up. It was about the fourth watch of the night, about three, four in the morning. And he, Jesus, came to them in the middle of the storm, walking on the sea. This is the story of Jesus walking on the water, and would have passed by them. A lot of people miss this. Jesus wasn't originally just walking out to the sea to go right to the boat. They were in the boat. He was just going to kind of stroll on by. There's a reason the Bible tells us this. Hang on to that thought. Verse 49. And when they saw him walking on the sea as he was going to pass them by, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all, bunch of wimps, for they all saw him. We probably would have done the same thing. For they all saw Jesus and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them. And notice what he said. Be of good cheer. Or also translated, chill out. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, there are over 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for each day of the year. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was what? It was hardened. This was another test of faith for his disciples. He, he put them in a boat. He purposely sent them out into the sea while he went to a mountain to pray. It was a test of faith. You remember back in chapter 4, there was another storm. But in that storm, Jesus was in the boat. In this storm, he wasn't with them. He was just watching them. He was testing and trying to stretch their faith. And they were, verse 48 says, they were rowing. Uh, they were trying to row and, and get across on their own. They were trying to do it in their own power, in their own strength. What you don't see here is they weren't praying. They weren't calling out for Jesus. They weren't showing any signs of faith. They were just trying to get across the storm on their own, in their own power. And what's crazy is they're not calling on Jesus. They're not praying. They're showing no faith. And in the boat is 12 baskets of faith filled with fish. And filled with loaves. What Jesus had just done, how quickly they forgotten. And then notice what it says in verse 48. Then he saw them straining and rolling, for the wind was against them. And that was about the fourth watch of the night. And Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. Why was he going to just pass them by? Here's why. He wanted them to recognize him. He wanted them to see him because they were looking for him. Because they were calling for him, but they weren't. They weren't paying attention. They weren't looking for Jesus. They were just trying to do everything themselves on their own. And verse 49 says that they cried out. They freaked out when Jesus showed up. Because you know why? Because they weren't expecting him. They weren't seeking him. They weren't looking for him. 
And there are some very important lessons for us this morning in these two stories that I want to give you as we close. Very practical. Number one, Jesus sees your trial and cares. Verse 48 says that when, they, when these disciples were out in this boat straining, what was Jesus doing? He was watching them. He probably shaking his head. Oh, my gosh. They're not praying. They're not calling. They're not expecting. They're just trying to do this on their own. But here's the good news. Jesus saw their trial. Jesus saw them in the storm. He saw them. You know, when we go through trials and storms of life, one of the things that Satan loves to whisper into our ears is no one cares. No one cares. No one sees. No one has compassion. And Satan wants us to believe that, and a lot of times we do. But the truth is, there is one who cares, and there is one who sees, and it's Jesus. And he's always got his eye on us, and he's always watching us. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says this, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. He's just waiting for us to turn to him, to call on him, to have, our, have faith in him. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Jesus is waiting for us to wait for him and call on him. Don't be like the disciples and try to get through the storms of life on your own. Our first response when we find ourselves in a storm or in the desert is to call on Jesus. Call out to him. Pray for him. And look for him. And expect him. Because he's looking for you. And he's watching you just like he watched those disciples from the mountain. Number two, this is a great one. You may not realize this, but Jesus, when you're in a trial and a storm, is praying for you. That's a pretty good person to have pray for you. Amen? You know, a lot of times we get prayer requests. Hey, pastor, will you pray for me, friend? Small group, will you pray for me? And that's great. We need to do that. But here's the best news. Jesus is praying for you. You're on his prayer list. Romans 8, 34 says this. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's making intercession for us. That's a big Bible word that says Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. Who shall separate? And because Jesus is praying for us, no matter what trial of life or storm or desert we're in, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Man, we better hold on to that verse. Amen, church? If you're going through a storm right now, if you're going through a desert time in your life, know that Jesus sees your trial and Jesus is praying for you just like he did when he prayed for his disciples in the storm from the mountain. Here's the third practical thing we learn from this. Jesus uses the storms of life to increase your faith. He purposely put them in the boat and sent them across. Do you think Jesus... You, you think when the storm came up and they were struggling rowing, that Jesus was like, oh my goodness, I did not expect that. No, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He allowed them to be in the situation to try and test and stretch their faith. And he does the same with us. He uses the storms of life to increase our faith. You may be in the trial, the storm, the desert you're in in your life right now because Jesus wants to do something miraculous in your life. He wants to stretch your faith. He wants to stretch your trust and belief in him. Notice what it says in verse 52. This is so interesting. After they got to the other side and Jesus calmed the sea and they arrived, it says, and as, it says to the disciples, they did not understand about the loaves. They, they missed this whole faith lesson. They didn't get it 
on the land and they didn't get it in the sea. They're like, golly, I can't believe he showed up. And what, what was all that that just happened? They should have been like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're so awesome. I, I can't believe we even doubted. What were we thinking? We're so sorry. They just didn't understand. They just didn't get it. And sometimes we do the same thing. We're going through a trial, a storm of life, and, and, we, and we hear people say, I just don't understand why. And maybe the answer to why is to stretch our faith, to stretch our belief. You know, we don't like trials. We don't like storms. I don't. We don't like the desert times of life. But let me illustrate it this way. You know, if, if you don't ever play baseball, the good news is you'll never strike out. The bad news is you'll never experience the joy of hitting a home run. If we don't ever go through trials in our Christian life, we might like that, but we won't experience our faith being stretched and Jesus showing up and Jesus doing miracles. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved Christians, Jesus followers, do not think it strange concerning you, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. If he, if he did things to stretch the disciples' faith, will he do things to stretch our faith? Yes. Yes, he will. And James says this, and this is what helps us get, get, get us through it. So we don't have the same response to the disciples that we're like, no, we don't get it. We, didn't, we don't understand. When we understand this, James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing this, the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces patience. We can get through trials and storms of life when we know and we understand God may be using it to draw us closer to him and to stretch our faith, and to do a miracle. I've said this many times. If you right now think back in your life to one of the times you were the closest to Jesus, your relationship was the most intimate, I bet it was during a trial. I bet it was through a challenging time. That's how it works. Number four, Jesus wants to be invited on board your life. Verse 51 says that when Jesus showed up, he went up into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed. He wants to be invited on board. John's gospel account of this story says it this way. Then the disciples willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I mean, many believe that what happened was they were like in the middle of the sea, getting nowhere. Jesus, when they invite him into the boat, immediately the sea goes calm, and the boat's at the land. It's like fast forward, and everything is fine. But they had to willingly allow Jesus to come on board. The disciples were getting nowhere on their own, but as soon as they invited Jesus on board, they were at their destination. Let me ask you this. Have you invited Jesus on board your life? Have you invited him and willingly accepted him on board your life, or are you trying to do it yourself? Trying to row through the storms of life without Jesus. You don't have to do that. Invite Jesus on board. And you know that starts by inviting Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never invited him on board your life to, ex to accept him as your Lord and Savior, that's where you begin. For the many of you who have made that decision, when you go through the storms, when you go through the desert, when you go through the trials, make sure you don't leave Jesus out of the boat. Make sure you invite him in. We've seen in chapter 6 the unbelief of his community, the unbelief of his enemies, and the unbelief of his own disciples. But it's interesting how Mark chapter 6 closes. After the unbelief of all these three groups of people, notice what, how it ends in verse 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and they anchored there. 
And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Jesus. They ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to who, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. Now watch this. And as many as touched him were made what? They were made whole. They were made well. These people had belief. They had faith. And it was rewarded. It was rewarded. Which group will you be in? The first three or the last one? These two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and, and Jesus calming the seas, the storm here, remind us that Jesus, listen church, offers provision and protection for all who believe in him. If we will just believe and trust him, we will have sufficiency and security no matter the situation. No matter the storm, no matter the desert. Jesus, believe him or not. Would you bow your heads this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed?